Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Uruguayan President Luis Lacaipo is in Beijing for a state visit. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has met with a delegation of Arab and Islamic foreign ministers in Beijing. Argentina's president-elect Javier Milei has vowed to end the country's decades of economic decline. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Uruguayan President Luis Lacaipo is in Beijing for a state visit. He will stay in China until Friday. He's leading a delegation of ministers and business representatives, and is expected to take part in a series of events related to trade and business. Cao Bing has more. Fresh in Beijing, the Uruguayan President Luis Lacaipo begins his state visit to China at the invitation of Chinese President Xi Jinping. This marks his first visit to China during his term in office. And the president is leading a large delegation. And according to Uruguayan official, the delegation includes key ministers and business representatives. Chinese Assistant Minister of Foreign Affairs Hua Chunying has warmly welcomed the delegation, joined by the Guard of Honor. Uruguayan officials say the president's week-long schedule lasts from Monday to Friday and involves meetings with top Chinese officials. He will take part in promotional events showcasing goods, services, and Uruguay's trademarks. President Lacalipo is also slated to deliver a master lecture at Tsinghua University, and on Wednesday, the Uruguayan leader will attend a seminar on investment opportunities before meeting President Xi Jinping. The official website for the Uruguayan president highlights the visit's objectives. The message emphasizes the intent to strengthen economic and diplomatic relations with China, their main trading partner. Coinciding with the 35th anniversary of diplomatic ties, the visit follows earlier successful trips by Uruguayan officials to China this year,、um, including foreign, industry, agriculture, and fishery ministers. Both sides say the outcomes have been fruitful, fostering optimism for future bilateral trade cooperation and deeper strategic partnership. That was Cao Bing with the report. Now, for more, we're joined by Victor Gao. He's chair professor at Suzhou University. Thank you, Professor Gao. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, first up, Professor, how do you see characterize the current level of relations between China and Uruguay? How important are the two to each other? Thank you very much. I think、uh, Uruguay is a very important country in South Af-、uh, America. Uh, China is as big as Uruguay is relatively small, especially compared with China. But the two bilateral relations are absolutely based on equality. China fully respects the core interests of Uruguay: its sovereignty, territorial integrity, and treats Uruguay as an equal, as China is. So that gives a lot of reason why the bilateral relations between China and Uruguay are so so good and. Uruguay mainly is agricultural and also is an exporter of minerals of some kind, and China can provide almost everything and every items of goods and services that Uruguay would need.、Uh, therefore, it is really very important to see how Uruguay can find goods、uh, to export to China to make sure that the bilateral trade will be more balanced. And Uruguay is. On the Atlantic side of the、uh, Atlantic Ocean,、mm-hmm. uh, nudged between、uh, Brazil and、uh, Argentina, two much larger countries. So I think uh, uh, how to be more creative and innovative in promoting balanced trade between China and Uruguay will be something that we need to discuss with the visiting president from Uruguay. And it is such a good、uh, visit that we expect that it will be. Really generating great announcements, and I think going forward, China will be increasing its ex-、uh, import of many things and goods and minerals from Uruguay.、Mm. Now, Professor, what do we know about President Luis Lacaipo? What are some of his main foreign policy mandates? Well, I think he's very balanced. He's highly respected, and、uh, especially considering what's happening as we speak. 
in the neighboring Argentina. I would suppose that the president of Uruguay will maintain stability at home and balance the foreign policy abroad,、uh, including dealing with countries like China and the United States, two countries which have increasingly large、uh, influence in Latin America and South America in particular. So I would say the president will maintain stability at home,、mm. balance in its foreign relations, and focus on really what matters. That is the economic development. Whoever who can import more goods from Uruguay will be treated with decency and respect. And that's exactly what China is dealing with Uruguay as a country, with the president, as well as with the Uruguay government. Mm. Now, specifically,、uh, Professor, for this trip,、uh, as you already mentioned, Uruguay is trying to、um, uh, export more of its goods to China. So, what else does Uruguay may want from th- this trip, and what does China want from this trip? Well, first of all, you may know that China、mm. now is、uh, observer or a member uh, to the. Uh, Uh, some country to country organizations in、uh, the Americas or in Latin America,、mm-hmm. and、uh, this is very important. This actually adds a political dimension to the bilateral relations between China, Uruguay, in particular, and all the other South American countries in general. From the Chinese perspective, we want to deal with Uruguay and all the other countries in South America, Latin America. And uh, uh, Central America, the Caribbeans, as equals.、Mm. And I think、uh, in the South American context, there is only one country called、uh, Paraguay, which still maintains diplomatic relations with Taiwan.、Mm. I think it is high time to make a final push so that all the South American countries will recognize China, and uh, uh, this will be a better way go forward. And、uh, in this regard, I truly believe Uruguay actually can play a very positive role in spreading around the good news that China treats with Uruguay、mm. uh, as an equal, and、uh, economic relations between China and Uruguay will really generate huge benefits for the people in Uruguay on、mm. equal basis. And this kind of、uh, balanced trade, I hope, which will be achieved, will be long lasting for the benefit of the Uruguay people. Right now, talking about the economy, um, um, are the economies of China and Uruguay complementing each other? I mean, what are some of the mutual interests between the two countries in trade and economy? I see the、uh, trade relations between China and Uruguay in the following way. First、mm-hmm. of all, China is big.、Mm-hmm. China is the biggest uh, uh, import market, and just now we、uh, completed. The、uh, China Import Expo, for example,、right. and uh, the uh, demand to import goods and services of all kinds from all countries in the world will be large, unmatched, and、uh, sustainable. In that context, Uruguay is relatively small in total size of its territory, in terms of size of its economy, in the total amount of GDP, and in the up limit of what they can export to any countries in the world. However, given the big size of China, any increase in the export by Uruguay to China will be very significant. Right.、Uh, therefore, I think both countries really need to focus on how we can make mutual efforts to make sure that bilateral trade between China and Uruguay will be more balanced. Meaning,、mm. Uruguay need to export more goods to China, and China need to bend backward to make sure. That there will be sustainable demand for goods from Uruguay, including agricultural products,、mm-hmm. beef,、uh, dairy products, but also,、uh, equally importantly, minerals of all kinds.、Mm-hmm. So this is going to be challenging to make balanced trade between China and Uruguay. But I think once both of us respect each other fully and treat bilateral trade. As moving in the direction of balanced trade, then I would say the Chinese market, as far as goods from Uruguay are concerned, will be unlimited in scale and potential.、Mm, right.
Now, Professor, also Uruguay is one of the countries in Latin America that 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 has joined the Belt and Road Initiative. So, how do you think China and Uruguay can collaborate with each other under the BRI framework? As I mentioned, Uruguay is an important coastal city along the uh, uh, western coast of the Atlantic Ocean,、mm-hmm. and、uh, there are、uh, plans to build up more connectivity. Between the Atlantic side of the、uh, Latin America, or South America, to the Pacific side of the、uh, South America,、mm-hmm. meaning connectivities can actually be considered and eventually be conducted, linking countries like Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina, according to different lines of、uh, passageway, of course,、right. across the whole continent, linking them with countries like Chile and Peru. Now. They need to overcome all the geographical difficulties of how to cross the、uh, Andes River or building tunnels, for example. However, the prospect of direct、uh, connectivity between the Atlantic Ocean、mm. and the Pacific Ocean across the continent of South America will truly generate huge benefits for countries like Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina、mm. because. The passageway through the Panama Canal, which has been very important, is kind of congested,、mm. and there may be really a need to find an alternative, either across the continent by road, railways, or otherwise, or building another canal. For example, there has been academic discussion, at least,、mm. uh, about building a new canal、uh, through Nicaragua. But all these are possibilities, and I think in the world of today. Mm. There are probably very few countries, other than China,、mm-hmm. which have the bones and the muscles to do it, the capital to support it, and the engineering capabilities to bring all these concepts to、right. reality.、Mm. Therefore, we need to be very focused on building connectivity in South America through the、uh, Atlantic Ocean of the continent to the Pacific Ocean of the continent, and the sole goal of all these projects. Mm. Is to promote connectivity, to create greater efficiency and efficacy, so that people in South America, through different countries, for example, will have easier and better access to connectivity and generate greater benefits、mm. for its exports. Right, indeed, there is a lot of potential on that front. Thank you. That was、uh, Victor Gao, chair professor at Suzhou University. Coming up, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi hosts a delegation of Arab Islamic foreign ministers. This is World Today. Stay with us. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Ren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology, and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has met with a delegation of Arab and Islamic foreign ministers in Beijing. The delegation is in China to discuss ways to de-escalate the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Wang Yi said the international community must act urgently and take practical and effective measures to prevent this tragedy from spreading. He said China is ready to work with Arab and Islamic countries to end the fighting in Gaza as soon as possible, to alleviate the humanitarian crisis, and to promote an early and lasting settlement of the Palestinian question. Beijing is the first leg of an international tour by these Arab and Islamic foreign ministers to push for an end to hostilities and to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. Now, for more, we're joined by Dr. Wang Jin. He's associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Thank you, Dr. Wang, for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Now, first up, why do you think these foreign ministers of Arab and Islamic countries choose China as the first stop of their international mediation tour? I think it proves China's、uh, the, the credibility as well as China's. Uh, reputation in the Arab as well as Islamic world, because on the one hand,、uh, after this round of the the, the, the Israeli、uh, Hamas or Israeli Palestinian 
conflict erupted, China actually uh, uh, put forward the notion that the ceasefire is highly needed and urgently needed. And also China sent uh, envoys uh, on many occasions to different countries in the hope to uh, alleviate the tension between Israelis and Palestinians and to reach the possible ceasefire as soon as possible. And meanwhile, China, as a rotating chair of the United Nations Security Council of this month, China under the uh, under the China's uh, assistance as well as of course, as well as other uh, United Nations Security Council members' uh, efforts, the very first uh, resolution over this uh, round of the Israeli and Palestinian conflict uh, has been reached. So China actually contributed a lot. And meanwhile, China kept the very uh, positive relations with nearly all the uh, related parties mm-hmm. in this new round of the Israeli and Palestinian crisis. Uh, so China uh, can contribute more in the future for the ceasefire, for the peace process, as well as for the humanitarian aid, humanitarian aid to the Palestinians uh, in the future. So that is why I think the delegation of Arab states, as well as the the Islamic State, they choose China for the first destination and hope to uh, to combine their own, own opinion with Chinese own ideas to find new possible ways to seek opportunities of peace as soon as possible between Israel and the Palestinians. Mm. Now, Dr. Wang, I noticed that uh, the foreign minister of Indonesia is among, uh, you know, these foreign ministers that just uh, met with Wang Yi. So what is Indonesia's role in this uh, Palestinian Israeli conflict? Because uh, from the perspective of, uh, uh, of different uh, sides, I mean, uh, uh, Indonesia is a very important uh, related party in the, this new round of uh, conflicting, uh, conflicts, conflicts between Israel and Palestinians. Because uh, we are talking about the delegation that uh, not only from the Arab states, because of course Palestinians are the part of the member of Arab family, but we cannot forget that uh, the, the Israeli and the Palestinian uh, conflict are also very closely related to the Israeli relations uh, with the Islamic world mm-hmm. and also the going and transformation of the, uh, of the Gaza Strip battleground as well as the humanitarian crisis in of Palestinian in the Gaza Strip also uh, were closely focused uh, by uh, the, the, the Muslims uh, all across the world. So as the most uh, and the biggest uh, 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 the, 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 the Islamic uh, world with the most population of Muslims, mm-hmm. uh, Indonesia, of course, will play the role on the one hand to uh, to hope to find ways to help the, to reach a possible peace and ceasefire between Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, although they have they have they have no they have no uh, formal diplomatic relations with with Israel, but they also hope to to seek opportunities to reach peace uh, for Israel and Palestinians. And on the other hand, they hope to contribute more to offer possible humanitarian cri- uh, humanitarian aid mm-hmm. and assistance to the local Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. So that is why Indonesia is among the members of the delegation to China, and also Indian will in- Indonesia will mm-hmm. continue to play a very important role in the future process of peace between Israelis and Palestinians. Mm. Now, Dr. Wang, you already mentioned the lots of work that China has done since the conflict broke out in early October. So could you please also walk us through China's positions, you know, since the, the conflict broke out in early October? Uh, yes, China's uh, China's uh, position is very clear. Mm. That is, China always stands with justice, and China always stands uh, with the, the aspiration of peace. Uh, because on the one hand, China has already urged a very uh, on, on many occasions that the related parties, especially Israelis and Hamas and other militant groups in the Gaza Strip, uh, they should. Uh, ceasefire. We should, we should uh, go to ceasefire as soon as possible through the mediation and assistance of international society. And uh, on the other hand, China noticed and uh, uh, has already also called for the urgent international assistance uh, uh, to uh, to help the local uh, humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip, because China has al- already noticed and uh, expressed our concerns of the humanitarian situations in the Gaza Strip on many occasions. And we hope that the international society, especially United Nations, uh, could do more to help the local Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. 
And uh, we also have to know that China has all, all, uh, also uh, have been has been uh, continuing uh, continuously uh, stressing the very urgently needs uh, urgent needs of uh, restoring peace process and especially the peace negotiation between Israel and the Palestinians under mm-hmm. the mediation of international society uh, under the principle of so, of the two state solution which means that the Palestinian independent state should be established on the territory of uh, on the territories of both uh, Gaza Strip as well as the uh, West Bank mm-hmm. with the capital of East Jerusalem uh, and also the, the very uh, well settlements uh, proper settlements of the Palestinian refugee issue so uh, so these are the very principles China has been held, holding, and also this principle will still be highlighted in the future by China and other international society states. Mm, right. Now, during the meeting with uh, this visiting Arab and Islamic foreign ministers, Wang Yi called for an international gathering, Hui in Chinese of larger scale, involving more stakeholders and taking more effective stances. So how do you think the international community, particularly, you know, um, the Western powers, because they are very influential um, uh, for in these conflicts, uh, how do you think the international community should work towards this goal? I think that uh, it is time uh, to put forward a kind of a new mechanism for the settlement of Israeli and Palestinian uh, mm-hmm. peace process. Because now this round of the new uh, conflict between Israelis and uh, Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, as well as expansioning, uh, escalating possibilities of uh, crisis in the West Bank of Palestine, of Palestine uh, proved that the traditional uh, Western country mediated peace process between Israelis and Palestinians failed. So it is also proved, suggested very highly urgently uh, needed. Uh, new process or uh, the new mechanisms of uh, Israelis and the Palestinians under the new set of the mechanism uh, of from international society. So that is why China hopes to contribute to the formation and also f- uh, to this uh, to to this new set of the mechanism. Not only uh, 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 contributed by China, but also contributed uh, by other uh, powers, especially the developing countries. I mean, particularly Arab states and Islamic states, mm-hmm. because they have the very close ties with the Middle East. They have the very close ties with Israel and the Palestinian issue. So that is why uh, China is from China's perspective. I think also from the most states of international society's perspective, that uh, this this new set of mechanism could part, co- could contribute more to help the local Palestinians, but also uh, could uh, contribute more to help to restore the confidence between the Israeli and the Palestinians over the future peace process. Mm. Now, Dr. Wang, the UN Security Council backed a resolution for a pause. Uh, in Gaza a few days ago. However, the fighting didn't seem to have stopped. So what needs to be done in reality? I think a lot of things need to be done. On the mm-hmm. one hand, uh, on the one hand, international society should continue to give uh, concerns to, to voice our support uh, to, to the possible ceasefire or possible or so-called possible pause. Uh, for uh, of the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, continue ongoing conflict, and give them confidence and give them pressure to end the ongoing conflict. And on the other hand, I think the international society should organize uh, the, the very set of uh, uh, continuously humanitarian assistance. Uh, not only the humanitarian channel to the Gaza Strip, but also the very consistently supportive uh, humanitarian goods uh, transforming from Egypt to uh, to uh, to Gaza Strip to help the local people there. And uh, then uh, we also cannot forget that the international society, especially the United Nations, should uh, give more attention to the Palestinians and Israel in the future to help them, to give them confidence to restore the, the peace process of the negotiation process between Israel and Palestinians, to help them find the possibilities of going back to the internal peace of, I mean, just and the last, uh, of lasting peace between Israelis and the Palestinians to restore the peace in, in, in the whole Middle East. Mm, indeed, a lot um, of things need to be done. 
Thank you. That was Dr. Wang Jin, associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. More to come. Javier Milei has won Argentine presidential runoff. You're listening to World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. We'll be right back after a short break. Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Argentina's president-elect has vowed to end the country's decades of economic decline and to return Argentina to its former glory after decades of stagnation. Libertarian Javier Milei won the election after his rival economy minister Sergio Massa conceded. Milei will be the country's president for the next four years. Joe Richards has more. Millet was elected as the uh, as the president elect. He's been confirmed to have taken 56% of the vote. It's nothing short of a landslide victory for the far right libertarian candidates. The largest majority that anyone has won an elect presidential election in Argentina since the return to democracy 40 years ago. So it's a huge victory for Millet, who was the outsider in these elections just three years ago. He was a TV panelist. Now. He is president-elect for Argentina. He inherits a country in deep economic crisis. Argentina facing its worst crisis in two decades, with high levels of poverty, inflation in triple digits, and Milei has won the vote. Won these elections on the back of promises to transform the economy with bold and radical ideas, such as、uh, slashing the the peso. And,、uh, and adopting the U.S. dollar as the currency, but also abolishing the central bank, privatizing education and health—a whole host of policies that remains to be seen if he will be able to implement him. Because the real challenge now begins for Javier Milei if he is able to implement these promises that he said that he says will tackle Argentina's economic、uh, difficulties and its situation. But it's an inexperienced political party. They're in a coalition with the former president Mauricio Macri. Certainly faces large challenges, and again, the question is whether he implements these radical reforms or if he moderates his policy. Joe Richards with the report. Now, for more, we're joined by Jiang Shixue. He is distinguished distinguished professor with the College of International Relations at Sichuan International Studies University. Thank you, Professor Jiang, for talking to us again. Okay, thank you. Now, Professor, first up, help us know more about Javier Milei because we already know that he used to be a professor in economics. Later, he worked as a television commentator. What are some of the essentials of his policy advocacy? Uh, well, uh, when he was、uh, a teenager, he was、uh, fond of、uh, um, the football.、Mm-hmm. You know,、uh, the football is very popular. In Argentina, then uh, he uh, he left、um, uh, sports and then uh, uh, went to、uh, other other fields. Well, I I'm not sure why he、uh, finally decided uh, to uh, to choose、uh, politics. Well, in the end of the day, he is successful. He is now president、uh, of Argentina, and you know Argentina is one of the most、uh, Important countries in South America, but、uh, everybody wants to know what kind of、uh, policies he he is going to implement, because、uh, based on、uh, what he said in the campaigns of、uh, people, well, many people are quite concerned.、Uh, Argentina might might not go out of the woods, but、mm. uh, probably will.、Uh, Think deep into crisis. So let's say, don't cry for me, Argentina.、Mm, well, now,、um, Professor, what does Millet's win tell us about the domestic political situation in Argentina? Because he's on, he's just on a libertarian. 
First of all, I want to point out that uh, the so-called right-wing force in, in America is still very powerful. Mm. Although the left uh, has come to the political stage in the past uh, one or two decades. Uh, you know, a few years ago in Brazil, we uh, witnessed uh, 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 a tropical Trump, mm. uh, or maybe we say a, a Trump uh, in Brazil, a Bolsonaro. But Bolsonaro was a kind of right-wing politician. Mm. But now uh, we are going to see uh, one more in South America. Uh, secondly, uh, let's say that uh, uh, one of the uh, major characteristics of the uh, politics in Latin America mm. is believed to be something like, uh, uh, how would you say, a pendulum, always shifting from right to left or then uh, from left to right. Mm. And a few years ago, Argentina... Uh, had a president uh, who who was considered as a rightist. Uh, but uh, this time, Millet is believed to be the so-called far right, or we say uh, extreme rightist. So I don't know what will happen in Argentina. Mm. Now, Professor, what are some uh, main tasks uh, Javier Millet is facing in Argentina, both domestically and internationally? Uh, I think uh, we have to we have to ask uh, uh, the voters in Argentina why mm. why people why the voters in Argentina choose uh, this kind of a uh, uh, strange person. Well, you know, in the past one decade or so, Argentina has been suffering from uh, terrible economic uh, difficulties. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the difficulties is. Called um, uh, hyperinflation, uh, prices for many kinds of things, including beef, uh, has been going on very, very rapidly. So people just want to see a kind of a different life. So they want to see that uh, Millet might save them from sinking into uh, more difficult uh, um, mm. economies. But uh, who knows what will happen? Mm. Uh, in the campaign, Millet put forward uh, several uh, quite uh, surprising uh, uh, strategies of, you may say, policies. Mm. Uh, he said that he's going to uh, uh, to uh, to eliminate the central bank. Right. He is going to he's he's going to adopt the so-called dollarization. Mm. That is to say, uh, peso will be replaced by the U.S. dollar. Mm. Well, many, many uh, kinds of uh, strange policies. <laughs> mm. I really don't know that will make magic. Uh, I doubt it. Mm. One more question, Professor. What are some of the main mandates of Malay's foreign policy? How do you think Argentina is going to engage with the world under his watch? Uh, first of all, I will say that uh, it is reported that uh, uh, his uh, uh, foreign minister, uh, mm. that means his uh, 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 foreign, uh, foreign minister said that Argentina will not join the BRICS. Mm. Okay, so this is uh, really a, a terrible, uh, terrible news. And secondly, I believe that he will... Uh, he will adopt uh, a kind of uh, different policy towards the so-called Mercosur. Mercosur is a name for Spanish uh, uh, acronym called the South American Common Market. Right. And um, probably he will leave Mercosur. And finally, uh, he will adopt a, a, a more friendly policy towards the U.S. Mm. Well, regarding China, well, for the time being, I I believe that uh, China's policy, uh, China's relationship with Argentina is not based on uh, ideology. Mm. So hopefully uh, the new president of Argentina will continue to push forward uh, further development of the bilateral relationship between our two countries. But uh, until now, 
who knows what will happen. Mm. Certainly, it's an interesting time for Argentine politics. But thank you. That was Jiang Shixue, distinguished professor with the College of International Relations at Sichuan International Studies University. You're listening to World Today. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the Independent Taihur Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So, join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. SpaceX giant new rocket Starship blasted off on Saturday for its second test flight, but exploded minutes after launch. The rocket flew for about eight minutes before SpaceX it had lost contact. The top part of the rocket successfully separated from the booster, which then exploded. The company, the company said it will share more information as the team reviews data from Saturday's test. SpaceX made the first test flight of SpaceX fully integrated Starship and Super Heavy rocket in April this year, but the vehicle exploded after liftoff from the launch pad in southern Texas. Now, for more, we're joined by Andy Mark. He is tech analyst and senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Thank you, Andy, for talking to us again. Absolutely, Luke. Now, Andy,、uh, first and foremost,、uh, help us understand Starship itself. I mean, what's special about it, and、uh, where does it stand in the overall, you know, all these parallel space programs of SpaceX? Well, Liu Kun, I think the first thing to understand is、mm. that advances in space travel、uh, are complex, expensive, and dangerous. Indeed. So,、uh, Starship, as one of the largest、um, rockets and intended to go further、uh, than any other rockets that have been developed,、uh, certainly falls in this category. So, it's a very bold undertaking, but again, it's Uh, complex, expensive, and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, now, uh, Andy, what what was the original mission of Starship's second test flight? Because、uh, after the first、uh, test flight, SpaceX said that they made some adjustments and improvements, right? They did, but again, I think we have to recognize that I believe it reached、uh, a height of about 148. Uh, kilometers, and as you mentioned, it was in flight for about eight, eight minutes. minutes. And my understanding、mm-hmm. is that one of the most important objectives of this test、uh, was the separation of the booster,、uh, which did occur. So, of course, any kind of、um, experimental flight that ends in the in the rocket、mm-hmm. uh, blowing up is not good. But、um, I would say that it's not a complete disaster. And again,、um, you know, these types of endeavors are、uh, filled with more failures than success.、Mm. I remember our show、uh, reported about you know the、uh, the previous generation of rockets at SpaceX,、uh, which was called the Falcon. So, how different is、uh, Starship from the the previous generation then? Well, I think without getting into the technical details, I mean,、mm. obviously, it's bigger and it's. The latest generation、uh, intended to go further, and I think that's the most important point of this. I believe it's something like what 400 feet, so it makes it a very, very large、uh, rocket. Mm. Mm. Now, Andy, we're yet we are yet to hear on explanations to,、uh, to the you know to this accident from SpaceX. But、uh, what's your understanding? I mean, do you have any guess? Uh, you mean as to what happened? Yeah,、or? as to the possible causes of、uh, the explosion. I don't, and、mm-hmm. again, I think that these technical details are really not that important、mm-hmm. um, unless you're directly involved in, in developing and making these rockets a success. I think it's more important to recognize that、um, it's like electricity; it's like the first internal combustion engine automobiles.、Indeed. That. Also, are complex and dangerous technologies, and of course, obviously,、uh, with this explosion of Starship,、uh, that there was no 
uh, human life lost, or as far as I know, no human injuries. Uh, but when I say dangerous, I mean that uh, there's expensive equipment involved, and when it gets destroyed, that's, uh, that's also not such a good thing. Mm. But the point here is that uh, there has to be many, many mistakes. Um, you know, this has never been done before. Uh, again, it's complex, involves a lot of different uh, disciplines, uh, chemistry, metallurgy, uh, aerodynamics, etc. Um, so, you know, the fact that these uh, mishaps happen, I think, are, are, are quite normal. Mm-hmm. Now, Andy, how do you think uh, SpaceX will, will um, proceed from here? Well, there's every indication uh, mm-hmm. from the public statement that um, they consider this progress. And again, you know, the first launch in April uh, did not get very far. This one got further. And again, uh, my understanding is one of the key things they were testing is the separation of the booster, uh, which did occur. So again, if uh, if things progress this way, uh, the next time they may get even further. And, you know, it might be completely successful. But as long as uh, mankind, not just SpaceX, mm-hmm. but mankind keeps... Uh, testing, learning, and improving um, important advances in space travel will happen. Mm, indeed, human beings are, and then they learn. Now, Andy, how long do you think we can possibly see You know, the original uh, goal of a SpaceX uh, being realized, meaning you know, people being sent for space travels? Well, you know, gosh, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you know, I think for people like the executives at SpaceX and Elon Musk, the sooner the better. Um, but that always has to be balanced with safety. You know, there are also other issues that crop up that people may not have considered. So we might be able to get people to Mars, say, mm-hmm. um, but can they live there? And I know one of the big questions <laughs> that have come up in this area is, human reproduction. Mm-hmm. You know, can humans reproduce in space? And this is an important question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, for long-term human survival uh, beyond planet Earth. So there are the immediate technical challenges. Um, you know, there's obviously business bureaucratic issues here as well. There are many governments that want to see this happen as well. There's questions of funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there may be also unanticipated biological questions that come up when we think about the future of mankind in outer space. Mm. Annie, we have one more minute. Um, so what can the world learn in terms of, uh, you know, private-run space exploration programs uh, from SpaceX? Because, well, it seems, mm. sure. Well, well, it seems that, you know, having multiple models mm. is a good approach. So historically, spaceflight has been largely, uh, entirely state-driven. Mm. Um, and now we see not just with SpaceX, but in China, there are, are private companies as well um, in other parts of the world. But having these alternative approaches certainly seems like a good idea, and we will only know uh, if it is a good idea <laughs> if it ultimately turns out to be successful, right? Mm. But certainly, you know, lots of uh, gov- national governments around the world are testing on the idea. Thank you, Andy. Uh, we, we appreciate your time and insights. That was Andy Mark, tech analyst and senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. This is World Today. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm Elaf Elard economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Microsoft is hiring former OpenAI CEO Sam Altman and co-founder Greg Brockman. After a weekend of negotiations to potentially bring Altman back to OpenAI, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella announced both Altman and Brockman would be joining Microsoft's new advanced AI research team. There are reports of open revolt within some sections of OpenAI following the sacking of the tech startup's high-profile CEO on Friday. 
Altman shot to fame after the release of ChatGPT, but the company board dismissed him, saying he wasn't candid in his communications. Now, for more on this, my colleague Zhao Yang earlier spoke with Ina Tangen, a senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Ina, Microsoft is hiring Sam Altman, who is the former OpenAI CEO. And we know that last Friday, the firm OpenAI dismissed Sam Altman. So, what happened over there? Well, this is a dot com drama once again. Uh, you have Sam Altman, who is accredited with、uh, creating this idea. Of、uh, you know using large language models and、uh, creating this Chat GPT, he basically wanted to go in the area of making this more of a commercial venture, whereas、uh, many people on the board wanted to stick to the original mission of OpenAI, which was to be for the benefit of all, not to be for profit, but to actually cap profits. But obviously, they didn't agree. Mm. But do Altman's critics have a point here in the sense that many young tech firms they inevitably attract genius who might be rather less experienced when it comes to, shall I say, the business etiquette? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not just dot coms. I mean, there's always this entrepreneurial culture. Uh, which is、uh, counter to corporate culture. You know, <laughs> if corporations didn't need entrepreneurs,、uh, they would be doing great. But the fact is, you need people who look at things in different ways, break the the quote traditional rules, and and figure out new ways of doing things. But that's not really the issue here.、Um, when OpenAI was created, it was a consortium of a lot of very wealthy tech people who got together to do good, and they said, you know, this is going to be OpenAI. It's going to be, you know, a not-for-profit entity.、Um, a few years later, Musk came along, and he he was involved in in funding it to、uh, a large degree. But he said, look, I want to make this into a for-profit venture. And、uh, they kicked him out, including Sam Altman. He was the one, one of the ones who said, "No, we don't want to do that." Now, a few years later, when ChatGPT explodes, all of a sudden it's Sam Altman who wants to make it more of a commercial venture, and he's getting、uh, some pushback from the board.、Uh, at this point, he's he's not a novice. He understands how corporate America works. He's been involved in the Silicon Valley a long time. He's basically doing a hostile takeover of the board. He said, "You fired me. Well, guess what? I'm going to come back. I'm going to get rid of all of you. I'm going to put my own people in, and we're going to do this the way I want."、Mm-hmm. And what impact could this shakeup have on the company's future direction and its strategy? Do you think? Well, its strategy is going to be to make money, and、uh, they're going to do、uh, push out a lot of new projects. Uh, unsurprisingly, the people who are in favor of this are all the inside people: the CEO, the CSO,、mm. <laughs> uh, the person in charge of uh, technical um, uh, CTO. They're all very much in favor of this. As is、um, Microsoft, who put in about one point thirteen billion dollars so far by last count or estimate. And、uh, they want to see a return on the profit. So you start seeing、uh, a lot of people who are coming together、um, just to say, "Look, this should be run as a business."、Uh, the days of just you know kind of incubating it as a nonprofit are over. We need to get a return on our dollar, and that includes Brad Taylor of Salesforce, who may be on the board in the near future. Mm. And Elon Musk also launched his new AI chatbot. He wants this、uh, XAI to challenge the companies like OpenAI. So, how do you see the competition in this field, and what's the latest development in this industry? Well, I, I mean, you, whenever you talk about Elon Musk, you know, there's there's this brilliant side,、um, you know, in, in terms of marketing and things like that. But、mm. on the other side. Um, and you know, and here, here's the guy who said, you know,、uh, six eight months ago that you know AI was very dangerous and no one should be playing with it and there should be a moratorium. Well, it appears that while he was advocating for a moratorium, he was developing his own product.、Um, but overall, within the industry, it's fine to say you came up with an algorithm. A lot of people can.、Mm. Uh, the issue is how efficient is it, and how much data. You have access to because data is the key. You train your algorithm on the data, and that is what makes it stronger and gives it more insight. The more data you have, the more likely it is that、uh, you're going to have、uh, something that's more meaningful coming out of it, assuming your algorithm is is good. So China has a very good place in that.、Um, 
Europe uh, is going to have issues because they just don't have these data gathering machines. The U.S. obviously does uh, with Facebook and Google and all the rest of them. Mm. And for the AI regulation, U.S. President Joe Biden earlier unveiled a new executive order on the artificial intelligence requiring the AI developers to share the safety results with the U.S. government. So how do you view this move? Well, I mean, it's the problem is that uh, he's kind of going alone. Um, he, it sounds like he's um, making them do something. Actually, he's just asking them to sandbox uh, issues and notify them, uh, notify the government of any problems. But he's taking a very pro-market approach, which is quite different from the way, uh, what the Europeans are doing and also what they're doing in China, which is a saying, well, we, we need to take a top-down um, approach to this, have uh, policies and procedures that protect individuals and and the country itself and businesses. Um, we, we can't just kind of wait and see what happens and, and correct things as they come along. So you have, you have very, very different approaches. It's really necessary for people to come together on these. You don't want to have different um, standards and, and procedures in, in different areas around the world. We already have enough uh, segmentation. We need to really if it's going to operate efficiently, it needs to be, um, you know, working under the same rules and guidelines. Mm. Now, what kind of international cooperation is needed to implement the AI, you know, standards or governance around the world? And what are the challenges in achieving the international agreement on it? Well, the challenge is, is everyone wants to be, to quote, be the owner of this. They think that there's some money uh, or some business opportunities. You saw that with um, Great Britain. You know, they, they, you know, they convened a meeting uh, at Betchley Park um, and they said, oh, we should be, you know, the center of figuring out what policy is. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily the way it works. Um, basically, uh, you have uh, China, Europe, and the United States as advanced countries. Each has their um, pluses and minuses. Uh, the U.S. has advanced models. China has the uh, data. Uh, right now, the Europeans are kind of struggling between that, but they're trying to, you know, uh, create a rational approach to it. I think it's best uh, for the industry and government to sit down and say, look, here's some broad-based principles upon which we all agree. I mean, in terms of, you know, what level are you going to protect privacy? How do you treat data, uh, primary data? How should it be labeled and um, you know, be, be able to tell that apart from data that is generated by these uh, artificial uh, intelligent entities? Um, and then you know, if, if you can solve things and you can agree that you don't want these things to do harm, you don't want them to be spreading disinformation, uh, remember once the AI starts – you can, in essence, program it to just be pouring information into the Internet. That was Ina Tangan, Senior Fellow at the Taiho Institute. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. A quick recap of today's headlines. Uruguayan President Louis Lacaipo is in Beijing for a state visit. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi hosts a delegation of Arab and Islamic foreign ministers in Beijing. Argentina's president-elect Javier Millet has vowed to end the country's decades of economic decline. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.